Welcome to the Pactum. I'm Mike Grimes here today with Pat Abendroth. Yo, with Mike Grimes. Yes, I'm Pat Abendroth. In the studio, and we are ready for episode number 72 today on antinomianism. <laughs> antinomianism. <laughs> and I'm laughing my head off because I listened to someone <laughs> yesterday. I was out on a bike ride and I listened to all kinds of stuff on YouTube uh-huh. uh, just on antinomianism. Yeah. Everything that would just come up would come up and there was a woman who was reading from rc sproul an rc sproul book on antinomianism but she could not say the word antinomianism I, you know like it's 30 times i had myself she could not do it so prepped and ready i'm like i rehearsed saying the word because i i know myself well enough to know that i'm gonna trip over the word antinomianism i almost said it wrong there Indeed. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, well, I, anyway. Yeah, I'm, well, today we're going to talk about antinomianism. Because it's an important topic. It is. Because lots of people throw that rock and they don't even they know what do. it means. But it is something bad. And it fits with kind of our ism cult kind of series, kind of sort of maybe. So we're going to do antinomianism because yes. we don't like it. It's something that's not helpful. It's not glorifying to Christ. But at the same time, too many people use it and they use it in a wrong way. So we don't want to use it in a wrong way. But before we go any further, Mike. Yeah. I've not seen you in a while. Vacation, vacation, vacation. I was in Colorado. Right. You were. And, oh, Colorado. Colorado, man. And you were in Florida. What yeah. in the world? Just tell me something great about Florida. The The weather was spectacular. You know, okay. you go to the beach and you wonder, is it going to just rain the whole time? Is it going to be just sweltering hot? Is it going to be? It was amazing. Really? 85, sunny. Some partly cloudy here and there, but it was perfect. On the golf side? On the golf side, yep. Best thing you ate? We take a lot of our own food and just do our own cooking when we're at the beach. So on okay. the way home, uh, we stopped in Nashville and we ate at Puckett's Grocery, which we love, and it was fantastic. Okay. Mm. Sounds fun. It's good. I'm trying to think of the best thing I had. Yeah, oh, what'd you have? oh, I had a pesto chicken crepe. It oh. was pretty, pretty dynamite. I think that it was probably good. like $20 <laughs> because that's how they roll there, I guess, but it was Fantabulous. I think of crepes. I think of like fruity sweet stuff. Yeah, every, all my you know my family they got str- apple strudel, right. whatever. Uh, no, I went for the big double double chicken. Double uh, chicken. Oh, it was with the fantastic. Pesto. We had it twice. The first time, the second time I went back, I knew what to do. I was in the know. I had my gnostic knowledge. You did. And so then I got double chicken, light on the mozzarella cheese and heavy on the pesto, mm. and it was so awesome. I did save a bite for the uh, for the trout. Because did you? <laughs> <laughs> Did you see any bears up in the mountains? We didn't see any. I saw a couple. I, I saw some moose, some mooses, mooses, some mices, mices, mices. <laughs> yep, that was it. Had a good time. That's awesome. Glad we both got to get away, and we didn't even miss a beat. We even had an episode seventy-one. Nailed it. From, Boom from the basement tapes. Yes, from the ooh the basement tapes. Okay, so let's get down to business and talk antinomianism. Yes. Um, and let, I guess we should start off by why in the world would we want to talk about it? Well, yeah. we want to talk about it because it's bad. It's yeah. harmful, yep, yep. but it is a thing. And at the same time, oftentimes people call other people antinomians and they don't even know what they're talking about. Right. Yeah. So, so we want to talk about it. Did so you know, we know what did we're talking you, about. Did you know that Richard Baxter, the guy that we're not very um, fond of. We're not? No. That Richard Baxter called John Owen an antinomian. For serious. Yeah. Mm. So in that sense, I, I we'll, we'll get to labels later or name calling, but that makes me uh, maybe... I kind of like that, yeah, as long as I'm wearing my thing, right? tall, not Italian, not Italian but Spanish, Spanish boots, boots like John Owen <laughs> would have. 
So we're talking about it because it is a thing. It's a problem, but we should probably define it before we go any further. Right. You've done this before on the Pactum. You have defined anti, though you have a hard time saying it. I, you know, you have defined antinomianism before. So, Mike, I think you should probably go for okay, it. Take, I'm take give the a mic, swing Mike. At defining the word that I can't say, and it's <laughs> <laughs> it's think of this: anti against mm-hmm. namas law. Okay, against Greek, Greek word law. namas is law. So against yeah. the law, pretty straightforward, yeah. at least as far as a literal rendering, rendering of the word. Right. But there are different strains, different sure. varieties. Yes. So I, I would say if people are against God's law, just even an unbeliever could be an antinomian because they're not paying attention to what God says. Right. And yeah. they're living however they want, whether it's sexual immorality or lying or any anything contrary to God's law, that right. would be antinomian. Right. There are also professing Christians who say, I you know, I'm gonna do whatever I want to do. They they say they're Christians, but they ignore God's law. That would be antinomas. <laughs> that would be antinomian, right? Yes, it would. How about yeah. other kinds, different strains of antinomianism? Uh, you have Christians who are going to affirm sola fide, okay. contrary to Arminianism. Hey, I can say that word. That's good. good. And they affirm that Christ fulfilled the law. And so then they therefore wrongfully conclude yeah. that there's no obligation. I have no obligation to obey God's law whatsoever. So now we're getting a little more sophisticated. Right. right? Yeah. So people who really, truly believe in Christ's righteousness credited to them, yep. justification is sola fide, by faith alone, in Christ alone. And then they conclude, though we would say wrongly, right? Yeah. But this is more um, studious. This is more historic. What uh, antinomianism has been. Yes. Yeah. And they wrongfully conclude that they don't have to obey God's law. That definitely would be antinomianism. Right. Uh, Mike Horton says, in technical terms, antinomianism has referred historically more to theory than to practice. Hmm. In other in other words, the kind of thing we're talking, you just talked about. Yeah. Um, it's more of a philosophical, theoretical. It's not so much the actions, though that would be antinomian sure. to live badly. It has more to do with the theology of it. Yes, yeah. Maybe one other kind of antinomianism uh, would be people who think that the law is Old Testament, and then once you move into the New Testament, there's no more law. Right. Or we go Old Covenant, there's law for sure, but then you move into the New Covenant, and there's no law anymore. Right. And I actually think that's pretty popular. Yeah, I think um, so. It's popular because of dispensationalism, not only dispensationalism, but when you have a system that, and I know not all dispensationalists believe this, Yeah, yeah. so keep your mail to yourself, <laughs> but traditionally dispensationalism acknowledges there are seven dispensations, mm-hmm. and the fifth one is the dispensation of law, yeah. uh, which is gone now according to dispensationalism, because the sixth dispensation is the dispensation of grace. Yeah. And so... I think that's led to all kinds of confusion. Sure, yeah. Because uh, law is gone because the dispensation of law is gone, and that ends up leading to a form of antinomianism. Right, yeah. And so I think that's problematic, and it's one of, the, one of the reasons why we want to talk about it, because if you don't know what antinomianism is, you might commit it, or you might subscribe to it, but we're just working on defining it. So right. bad actions show that you don't follow God's law or bad theology shows that you don't follow God's law. If you don't have a place for God's law, then you obviously aren't going to follow God's law. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Okay. I did look up Miriam, Miriam, Miriam Webster. I, 
I think that's how you say it. <laughs> okay. Why would you ask me how to say it? I, I can't even say the word we're talking about today. <laughs> no meaning. According to Webster's Dictionary, I've go. never said the first name. Yeah. Webster says, one who, this is antinomianism or an antinomian, one who holds that under the gospel era of grace, the moral law is of no use or obligation because faith alone is necessary to salvation. I think that's actually a pretty good definition. Definition, yes, it is. It's pretty helpful. I think we can probably move on with that in mind. Yeah. Tell us, Pactum listeners, uh, are we doing a good enough job uh, dealing with the different strains and strands of of antinomianism that we get the idea? It's anti-law, whether it's in your actions or it's in your theology. Theology, You have no place for the moral law that you're going to follow God, that you're obligated to follow God. That's what antinomianism is. People who say, I can live however I want to live. Yes, that would be antinomianism. Or people who say, actually, I'm under no specific obligation because Christ met all of the obligations for me. Uh, That would be a kind of antinomianism. Right, yes. Fair fair enough? Fair enough, yes. Okay, I'm feeling the vibes from our listeners that we've said enough. We've said enough. That we're able to move on to this next question that we have here is we're thinking through the ism, the bad kind of ism that is antinomianism. Yeah. And the next question is going to be, so what makes it so bad? Yeah. What's the, what's the big it, deal? What's it kind of seems like a problem? silly question, but well, a question we should ask, what makes it so bad? Why is it bad to be against God's law? Because God does have a law. Okay. And God's law is good. We both it's went to holy. public school, yeah. you can tell. He does have a law. It's good. It's holy. It's righteous. And his law is to be obeyed by everyone. We for sure would say that. Yeah. If God has a law requirement, and we know that it's good, righteous, and holy based upon the Bible, we should follow what God says, yeah. as long as it's appropriate for us to follow what God says, which gets into the debate a little bit, I guess. Uh, but it's antinomianism is bad because if God wants you to do something, you don't do it, that's a bad thing. Right, yeah. It's to be antinomian. You're against God. I mean, that's that's not a good thing. Yes. Now it is true. However, we're going to nuance here eventually that there are certain laws that were given to certain people for certain times sure, sure, that yeah. not everyone is under. Right. So we don't do animal sacrifices because that's part of a law for a different time in a different place. Right. Yep. Under types and shadows. So yep. that that we do need to distinguish, which yes. is important in theology. We distinguish. <laughs> Another reason that antinomianism is bad is because typically when people say, okay, we're going to get rid of the moral use of the law. We're going to get rid of God's law. We're not under it anymore. So oftentimes what ends up happening is it ends up being like legalism because now everybody follows somebody's rules. Sure. Yeah. And so now all of a sudden it's some person's rules, right, yes. even if it's not God's rules. Right. And so it ends up looking a lot like legalism um, in the end. We think it's freeing, but at the same time, it's constraining. And if you're going to make me follow somebody, at least make me follow God. Right. In- right. Instead of brother, pastor, preacher's sister, so-and-so, uh, <laughs> and tie me to some kind of legalism. Right. Uh, we all obey somebody and something in the end, it seems. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So dear listeners, as we're thinking about antinomianism, we need to consider how we're going to deal with antinomianism. If it, if it is an ism that's bad, how should we deal with it? And we want to talk today about how, how to deal with it in the wrong way. Sure, um, yeah. We want to talk about certain biblical passages that do in fact deal with antinomianism. And then we do want to talk about what the Bible says about the church and its relationship to dealing with people who are antinomian in their practice. So we want to take three different approaches, three different angles on how we're dealing or how we should be dealing with antinomianism. And first and foremost, as we want to talk about how to deal with antinomianism, we want to say, don't become a legalist in your effort to combat antinomianism. Right. 
Yep. Right? Don't over pendulum swing to legalism if you're trying to deal with antinomianism. But it happens yeah. so many times. That is That was the case with Richard Baxter because he saw people behaving so badly, such as people in the military during his day. And what does he want to do? We, we've got to get these guys to stop talking so badly, living right. so badly. Right, right, right. And so what we're going to do is we're going to say justification is not by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. We're going to say justification is by faith in Christ plus what you do. Right, yeah. And then eventually you'll be finally justified by faith and works. Yes, yeah. We, we don't want to take that approach. No, no. Uh, remember, don't lose your ever-loving Protestant mind. Don't lose your perspective when it comes to even the book of Romans. Yeah. It is for good reason that Paul says in Romans 3.10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And you could literally translate that, none is a lawkeeper, hmm. no, not one. Yeah. So to be justified, it can't be by your law keeping. Right. Um, you have to look outside of yourself. You have to look to another. Romans 4, 5 says God justifies the ungodly. Hmm. How could this be? It's because we're trusting in Christ. So it is by faith. And so Jesus is the only perfect law keeper. Right. Yeah. So justification is therefore by grace alone, through faith alone, in the law keeper. Yes. Who is Jesus. And so that's why the Bible emphasizes this so much. It's why Romans is so wonderful. It gives us assurance, which is heretical, uh, according to Roman Catholicism, right. because they end up labeling the gospel as antinomian. Right. I was just reading today in the Roman Catholic, uh, it's the New Advent uh, Encyclopedia or Dictionary. I can't remember which one it is. And uh, it was just fascinating to to hear them talk about antinomianism as heretical because sola fide is heretical. Mm, yeah. But in one sense, I see why they're saying what they're saying. Right. Uh, we don't want to be antinomian, but we don't want to be Roman Catholic either. Right. Yeah. We don't want to go there. <laughs> the, we don't have to make, we, we can make the, the correct choice. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. It's not our law keeping, but that's not antinomian. Right. Uh, yeah. Because Christ is a law keeper. And now as we move forward, we're going to see that we who have been justified freely, according to his grace, are called to obey God's law. Right. Yeah. Not for justification, but if you will, for the sake of flow, because of justification. Right. Yeah. Is that, is that, I think that's clear great. and helpful yeah, enough. I think that is. That's helpful. So don't do that over pendulum swing. That's kind of on the negative side of when we're dealing with antinomianism. Yes. yes. So we have a couple more there on the positive side. Yep. And before you actually jump in, okay. as just be careful. So those of you who teach the Bible, who listen, and we're thankful that you do, just be careful you don't sound like someone who denies sola fide mm -hmm. when you're trying to get people to behave. Yes. Um, yeah. And just we have to stress that. It's yep. important. It is, there is a place. We're getting there. We don't yeah. like antinomianism. We're going to talk about Bible texts that deal with it, but just don't correct antinomianism with neonomianism, mm -hmm. which is a denial of the gospel because it's a denial of justification sola fide, right? right. Yeah. So a couple now positive, maybe. Be because we're positive. We are here on the positive pactum podcast. Uh, so dealing with antinomianism, uh, a second one would be to become more biblically literate regarding God's law. So learn what the Bible has to say about God and his law. This know is, these things. That's right. This is where we really need to dig in uh, to the scriptures and look at some specific texts that help us to become, oh, enlightened. Yes. No, help oh. us to become literate <laughs> so that we can know what the Bible says about things like law, or what the Bible says about things like how Christians are supposed to obey the law. Yeah. So first of all, don't over pendulum swing. Now we're talking about 
let's be biblically literate. Let's understand law in certain texts. We're going to look at Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at Romans chapter 2. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 3, Romans chapter 6, which is the big one. Yes, that's the big, big, uh, so, big one. So hang on. We're going to get to that. And we know lots of you who listen to the Pactum already have these categories. But it, even if you already do, think of yourself as a missionary in training sure, because yeah. there's so much confusion about some of these basic things. Mm-hmm. And so we want to help you to help others think that this through in terms of basic things. So yeah. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 28 is that classic engagement that Jesus has right. regarding yep. the law. Yep. And what does Jesus say about the law? And we want to work through it because what we're going to see is the essence of the law is what? Love. Yeah. People don't know this. Um, The essence of the law is love. And so, of course, love is still around, whether you're in the old covenant or the new covenant or the pre-old covenant. (laughs) Love has always been the standard. And therefore, God's law has always been the standard. So you want to go ahead and work, work us through this? Yeah. Luke 10, 25 through 28 And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. It couldn't be clear, but sometimes we're really slow, I think. So law is love. Uh-huh. Love is law. What's the essence of God's law? Well, the essence of God's law is love. Love God. Yeah. Love, yeah. Neighbor. love neighbor. So what we would never conclude is, well, you know, it used to be law and now it's love. Right. (laughs) That's like saying it used to be law and now it's law. And that's what you hear all over the place. Old Testament was law. Now in the new, it's all love, love, love. Absolutely. So this requirement to love God was around before the Ten Commandments. It was around in the Ten Commandments. It was around after the the Ten Commandments, if you will. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Mosaic law. So it has always been the case that we are to love God and love others ever since there have been others. Yes. It's probably how we would do that. But just know if that sounds super, you know, juvenile or grade schoolish to you, I guarantee you, if you're living on planet Earth in the 21st century, you know people that don't have this clear in their minds. Yes. And so it's no wonder they don't understand the distinction and the importance of keeping God's law because they're already confused about what God's law even requires. Right. Yes. So with that in mind, let's go to another text that is also important to draw conclusions from. Right. And that would be Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Maybe we don't need to read the whole thing, but it talks about the Gentiles in Romans 2, 14, and yeah. it says they do not have the law. Mm. So Gentiles do not have the law. Well, but they do. They do, yeah. <laughs> so why are we correcting Scripture? <laughs> well, The next verse, right? Yeah, we're not really correcting Scripture. They don't, they don't have the law. They don't have the Mosaic law, right. the Gentiles, yeah. right? They're not part of the, the nation of Israel. But in the next verse, it says they have the law written on their hearts. Yes, yeah. So they actually do have a standard. They actually do have divine law written on their hearts. It's yeah. just not on stone tablets. Right, yeah. So even Gentiles have law. So law is for Jews. Law is for Gentiles. Yes. Uh, law is not limited to Mosaic law. Once again, you can be a great missionary regardless of where you live. If you have this in your mind, there is always a standard. There is always divine yeah, law. yeah whether you're part of the nation of Israel under the Mosaic economy mm. or, or not. Either way, uh, 
everyone has a law. Yeah. Everyone has divine law. Yes. There? Yes. Very good. Doesn't mean everyone is saved, but everybody has the standard. Yes. Everybody has that standard they're held up to. Yep. Now, one other text just to reference quickly, and then we're going to get to the big daddy. <laughs> the, big daddy. the big one. When it comes to the whole matter of antinomianism, if I could go to one text, it would be Romans 6. Yes. But before we go there, one more text is 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, mm-hmm. and it ends with three important words. And last time I checked, 1 John is in the New Testament. It is, uh, yes. New covenant, if you will. And 1 John 3, 4 says at the very end, sin is lawlessness. Hmm. Sin is lawlessness. So that's important because by deduction, we have to conclude that there was law, there was law in the garden yeah, because there was sin in the garden. Right. So that's yes. pre-Mosaic. Yeah. Um, and also since there's still sin after the Mosaic economy, right. um, that means there's still law there's if still there's law. sin, yeah. right? right? Yes. Because sin is lawlessness. Yeah. So I remember a person hearing this for the first time who comes was very dispensational, and they had it in their mind because their favorite Bible teachers told them, you know, or no law, no law, no law, mm. and then to say to them, so do you, do you think there's no sin? Hmm. Well, of course not. There's of sin. course there's sin. Well, then why does First John in the New Testament, <laughs> right? Say, yeah. Why does First John chapter three verse four say sin is lawlessness? Right. Yeah. Because law is still around. Um, there is law, and there is law, and there is law. <laughs> what does that mean, Mike? I don't know. It's still here. But it's hey. everywhere. <laughs> uh, so to, for your friends who think there's no more, no more law because we're not the nation of Israel or something like that, which we're not, uh, just remember 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, right. sin is lawlessness. Okay, ready for the, the, the granddaddy, the big, the big daddy, daddy, the yeah, big dog, yeah, dog the big kahuna, <laughs> all of these big things that we say yes. on the pactum. The pactum, the big one. Here's what, here's what we want to do with um, thinking through this matter of Romans chapter 6. Think in terms of Paul has been so clear about justification, sola, alone, fide, by faith, through mm-hmm. faith. He's been so clear that he knows someone is going to be the objector. Right. Yep. So it could be a hypothetical objector. It's maybe because he'd been asked so many times. He's anticipating the objection. Does this mean we can live like the devil? Right. Does yeah. this mean we, we can, can be lawless it. because Christ fulfilled the law? Right. Yep. And as Martin Lloyd-Jones said, uh, famously or infamously, if people aren't asking this question, then you've not been clear about the gospel. Hmm. And I think that's right to think in those terms. Yeah. If people aren't asking this question, and I think he probably got it from, from Luther or someone else. Sure, yeah. If, if they're not asking the question when you present the gospel to them, then you've not been clear enough. Yeah. But let's work our way through it. So if you want to open your Bible as you're listening, you can, unless you're driving. <laughs> unless you're driving. Please don't do that. I'm a cyclist. <laughs> riding a bike. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it says in Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? Sin is lawlessness. Right, right. Right? We yeah. know this. One divine author. Shall we continue in lawlessness that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Implied answer is we can't. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely impossible because you're united to Christ, and we're going to see that next. Verse 3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Of course, of course. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. It's certain, he says. Verse 6 then says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For effect, let me remind you, so that we would no longer be enslaved to lawlessness. Mm. For men, verse seven says, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him for the death. He died. He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11 is super important in all of this. Make sure you catch this. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must do this because it is in fact true. Right. Then verse 12 says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So you're in Christ, you're united to Christ by faith. Oh, yes, justification came to you freely, but that doesn't mean there isn't more to the benefits of being united to Christ. Dead, raised, newness of life. So antinomianism is not an option. Uh, Living a lawless life is not an option if you're a Christian because of your union with Christ. Then if we keep moving on, it says in verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, Remember, law-breaking, unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Remember, for law-keeping, that's what righteousness means. Then verse 14 is really important. It has been confusing. It doesn't need to be confusing. We're going to help you on the pactum today. For sin will have no dominion over you. Here we go. Since you are not under law, but under grace. Mm-hmm. You hear Mike over there. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything about that last statement is true. Yes. But it has led to no small amount of confusion from people who've taken it out of context. Right. Yeah. You are not under law, but under grace. Oh, maybe dispensationalism is true. Right. With the, there was a dispensation of law. Now, now it's a dispensation grace. of grace. But, but yeah, right. Lewis Berry Chafer wrote a book uh, on this very verse and he got a lot of things right, thankfully, but he got some things super Mm. duper wrong that has led to a fair amount of antinomianism. So Mike, let's consider what, what, what it does mean then we're not under law, but we're under grace by way of preview. He's going to go on as, and we're going to, we're going to survey the verses that follow to basically say you're under the law. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Which just makes me laugh. Yeah. So he says right there, you're not under law, but under grace. And then he goes on to use all sorts of law words like righteousness, 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 obedient, obedience, obedience yeah. all of this kind of legal terminology. So in one sense, dear Pactum listeners, it's like the apostle Paul says, we're not under law, we're under grace. And then he goes on to say, but just remember you're under law. Yeah. And since the, <laughs> since the Bible is an alphabet soup, we can categorize, we can make distinct distinctions. Here's the deal. We're not under law, but under grace for, yes. okay, now remember Romans 1 to 5, we're not under law, we're under grace for what? 
for justification. Hello, yes. right? We're we're not under law, but under grace for justification. Christ kept the law; he obeyed the law. His perfect righteousness, his law keeping, is credited to us by faith. That's Romans one to five. Right. And so here it's clear: we're not under law, but under grace for justification. Yes. True that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. On every day that ends in Y. Yes. We're not under law, but we're under grace. Just want to hammer that home at the Pactum pulpit that we don't have. <laughs> but but then we have to know that he goes on to basically essentially say, and now you're under law. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. now you're under law as because it's your guide. It helps you. It leads you. It guides you. It, you can't be condemned by it anymore. Right. Um, but now you do have it as, if you will, if I can borrow from the psalmist, a light unto your path. Right. Yeah. So don't take our word for it. Here we go. Scripture says in verse 15, the very next verse, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? He says, right. by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, oh, he's talking about obe- o- obeying. Mm-hmm. That, that's the law type. That, that, that's law talk. <laughs> as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Oh, there we go again. Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, there he is again, which leads to righteousness, which means adherence to law. He's, he's, he's saying you're under law. Yeah but not for justification. Okay, verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching, teaching from which you were committed and having been set free from sin have been have become slaves of righteousness, mm. law keeping. Law keeping. <laughs> okay, we don't want to be here all day and make this a, a 47-hour episode, but he goes on <laughs> to say righteousness again in verse 19 uh, and he talks about righteous in verse 20. You can read it for yourselves. It really is crucial that we read the Bible in context. Yeah. yeah. And we can say, not under law, under grace, for justification, but you can bet your boots, your tall <laughs> Spanish John Owen boots, you can bet your boots that we're not antinomian. We are called to follow God's law now that we're in the family Yeah, by grace. Yeah. I think super helpful quote from Samuel Bolton Uh, from the true bounds of Christian freedom. He says, the law sends us to the gospel that we may be justified. And the gospel sends us to the law again to inquire what is our duty as those who are justified. Oh, I think think our listeners, they're probably going to hit rewind. That little 15 second button that you have. Ooh, the little 15 second. Uh Because that that quote is worth it. We're going to link to that book in our show notes because you can get it free on monergism.com. Yep. Excellent. Yeah. Law first drives us to the gospel, to Christ for justification. And then what happens? Drives us back to the law so that we can know how to live our lives. Well, maybe we won't take the time to read it, but if you read a Psalm like Psalm 119, uh, it's pretty straightforward that it's, it's our guide. The law is our guide. Remember in Psalm 119, uh, there are all of these different synonyms that are used. Sometimes it's the word of God. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's the law of God. Mm -hmm. He's talking about the same things. And it right. is a light unto our path. It's not the the condemning, 
guillotine. Do you yeah. say guillotine or guillotine? I say guillotine. It's not the guillotine, <laughs> if you will. Uh, it's not the smashing of judgment, but it becomes our light. It becomes our guide. Why? Because we're in Christ by faith, no longer any condemnation, but now it is indeed our guide. It is our law. Right. Other texts we could look at, we could look at Romans 12, 1 and following, sure. but that's after Romans 1 to 11. Yeah. We are mm-hmm. urged, we are exhorted, we are commanded to live a certain kind of way according to God's standards, according mm-hmm. to God's will, according to God's law, but it's because of fueled by being in Christ because of the gospel. Uh, and so it's important. It's not an option to behave. Yep. Um, God doesn't say, now that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone, you, I'm going to leave you alone. Right. Or that's all there is to it. Uh, there's more involved in being united to Christ. Yes. Yep. So those are important texts. We could look at other texts, but really the Romans 6 one. Uh, is is vital in this whole discussion, I certainly would say. And even its context is rich and wonderful. Yeah. Let's round out this uh, section here where we're talking about how to deal with antinomianism. A third way would be to uh, have church discipline. And we talk about church discipline because uh, lawlessness, sin, is not to go unchecked. You know, we don't want to just allow that to just run rampant in the church, in the life of the believer. Uh, So God gives us church discipline to deal with these issues, to deal with those who are potentially uh, antinomian. antinomian. Uh, So Matthew 18 helps us know how to deal with these things. For professing believers who are living in sin, uh, we want to do that. It's a way for us to deal with this in the church. Yeah, if antinomianism was okay, Jesus wouldn't have given us what he gave us when he said what he said right. in Matthew 18. Right, yeah. So sin actually matters in the life of a believer. It's not, hey, you know, uh, God, I, I like sin. God likes to forgive. What a good relationship, yeah, right. <laughs> as someone said, in yeah. effect. So it's not that way at all. And and one thing we do sometimes in our individualism and in our individualized kind of 21st century Christianity is we forget about the corporate aspect of things sure, and yeah. how the church, the local congregation, the local church is to help us. Uh, and the local church is not uh, complementary to antinomianism. Uh, it's actually there to help us to not be antinomian in our practices. Yeah, right. And that's why Jesus says what he says about lawlessness, about sin in Matthew chapter 18. Yeah. All right, so Mike, let's circle back around yes. and let's come back to this business of asking the simple question, uh, are Christians obligated to obey God's law or not? Yes. Yes, you say yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. But not for but justification. I thought, uh, but I thought we we're not under law or under grace. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's yes is the answer, but not for justification. Yes, indeed. I Just yesterday, as I was listening to all of the different um, lectures and things that were popping up on my constant, what do you call it when it's just feeding, going from one video to the next, continue play or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. As that was happening, there was a, a Christian apologist, kind of a call-in show. I don't, know, I don't know who it was. The name didn't, uh, the voice didn't sound familiar, but his answer was no. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, he was critiquing antinomianism, and yet no he said the Christ, God's law is not there to guide the Christian. Oh. And I had that kind of, my ears perked up like my dog, like, what? what? Rewind, I hit the 15-second rewind. It. Oh, that's interesting. I listened to it about three times, and I thought, that's really fascinating. And I think it's because he was confused regarding old covenant economy, if you will, hmm. and thinking laws only mosaic or something like that. And somehow even mosaic didn't contain the moral law that carries over today for us as Christians. Huh, so interesting. Christians are, if you, if yes. you don't hear anything else uh, in light of what we've looked at textual uh, scripture wise, 
Christians are, in fact, obligated to obey God's law. It's not an option. It's something that we're called to do. It honors Christ. It's something that's good for us. It's good for our neighbor, neighbors, and it honors God. Uh, another good Samuel Bolton quote from that true bounds of Christian freedom, Mike, is this. The believer is freed from the law as a covenant, and so from the curse of the law. So we're free in that sense. Mm. The law cannot pass sentence upon him. It cannot condemn him. He is not to be tried in that court. Christ has satisfied the law to the full. And yet it was that same Samuel Bolton that said, we are obligated right. to keep the law. Drives you know, us to, back to it. It, it absolutely does. Yeah. And we, we could look at other texts. We could talk about texts that don't mention law in particular. Sure. But yeah. talk about fruit, talk about obedience, talk about the need to obey as Christians. Uh, the classic one is Ephesians 2.10, yeah. yep. yep. right? So we're, we're not saved by grace alone through faith alone so that we can just do whatever. Right. Uh, we're saved for good works, for good works yeah. uh, which obviously are tied to God's law. So... Not for justification, but we do have a new nature. Uh, we do have the Spirit. We have been united to Christ, and we are called to bear fruit. We are called to do the right thing. And how are we to know what the right thing is? Not from some made-up rules and principles and things like that from you know, this, that, or uh, the other Bible teacher. Sure, yeah. they, they come from Scripture, and only Scripture is binding. Otherwise, it, it ends up being legalism. Yes, yeah. I think sometimes we've talked about this before, is our relationship to the law as Christians has changed. We're now at a place—you say this on Sunday mornings a lot—you're at a place of uh, secure, sure salvation in Christ with our union with Christ, and now our relationship to that God's law has changed. We want to obey that law uh, as worship, out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving to Him. Sometimes I, I think that's helpful for people as they're thinking about, are we obligated to obey God's law? Of course you are, but out of a new place of security in Christ. Mike, that reminded me of the episode we did early on. We worked through that um, Burkhoff book called mm. the, the Assurance of yes, Faith. Yes, yeah. And I think that would relate to this because if you have assurance early on in your Christian experience, like at the very beginning, there's mm. no condemnation, uh, it in it empowers, it motivates, um, it gives you a sense of security that gives you boldness to move mm. forward because you're not doing the right thing out of fear of condemnation if you blow it. Right, yeah. Um, you're doing the right thing because you belong to the family, and it really is emboldening. Sure. It makes me think about if I had to walk across the tight, tight wire, uh, <laughs> you know, I would fall one step in. Right. But if somehow that wire could be maybe two inches off the ground. Sure. Yeah. I think I could get pretty far. Yeah. Right. Uh, and with some practice, I would never fall off. Yeah. Well, it, it's the same tight wire, but it's just not so high up there. Sure. And, and there, the consequences aren't devastating. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not condemnation if I fail because I'm in Christ. There is no condemnation. And so that emboldens me. It encourages me. I want to do the right thing because I'm in the family. Hmm. Yeah. So, Pat, have you ever been accused of being an antinomian? My wife has never once. Molly has never said, you're such an antinomian. <laughs> so, no, that's not what you were getting at. I'm, I'm no, glad my not. wife has not accused me of that because that would be bad. That's good, yes. So, uh, actually, I've been accused of it. Um, so, I guess I, I would how do you just handle? Say, how do you handle that? I, I say <laughs> I'm in good company. I No, I actually think when people criticize us, I think it's a good thing for all people. When you're criticized to stop and say, is that true? Uh, instead yeah. of being on the, on the defense. But the reality is um, I've been accused of being an antinomian. And uh, you know what? I'm thankful. 
Hmm. I'm thankful that I've been that clear about the gospel. There is therefore now no condemnation. So we have peace with God. We're no longer enemies. I want to continue to be accused of being an antinomian. Here's the thing, though, Mike. I just don't want to be one. Yeah, right. I don't don't want to actually... If I really am one, there's a problem. So I don't want to be an antinomian in my lifestyle. Um, I don't want to be an antinomian in I'm denying the what theologians call the third use of the of the law. Right. Yeah. Um, but I do want to be accused by people who are ignorant uh, of being an antinomian because they're hearing me just harp on Christ through his perfect substitutionary obedience has done everything necessary to secure our justification. And it's given to us freely. God justifies the ungodly and people who are ignorant. And I'm going to say it again uh, and say, you know what? You're, you're, you're an antinomian. Mm. Uh, I'm yeah. going to say, you know what? You, you don't know what you're talking about, but I'm glad I was that clear about right. Christ. Yeah. <laughs> and in reality, I affirm God's guiding law. And I don't think it's optional. I actually think it's, it's obligatory, even though it's good, righteous, and holy, it is obligatory. And that's a false accusation. I'm glad that, uh, John Owen and I can both be in good company <laughs> and time to buy myself some new leather Johnny boots. Owen is a friend of mine, right? <laughs> there is that right. Have you been accused of being an antinomian? No, only guilty by association. I think Mike Grimes is an antinomian. Thank See, you. now you have. I, I feel much better now. I'm in good company here on the Pactum. <laughs> if you affirm the guiding nature of God's law in the life of a Christian, uh, at least according to old school definitions, you're not an antinomian. Right. Uh, really, that's what the historic debate was about. But today, what we end up having, having oftentimes is people who are legalists and people who make up extra biblical rules and regulations that they try to impose on other Christians. They say, oh, if you don't do these things, Hmm. um, then you're an antinomian because you're against God's law. And I'm like, wait a minute, Uh, I'm against your laws, but I'm not against God's laws. Right. Uh, Or they hear us clearly promoting justification that it's not by faith and faithfulness. Hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not by, if I am a really good faithful follower of Jesus, then I'm accepted, then I'm justified. No, that's Roman Catholic. Right. And so you can call me an antinomian if you want to, uh, but in reality, I'm just a Christian who's affirming Romans chapter four, verse five. So this is a heated debate. And so we just want to be clear on what the gospel is Mm -hmm. and go from there. So Paul is so clear. It begs the question. We want you to be so clear. We want to be so clear. It begs the question. Does this mean we can live however we want to live? The answer is no. And now we're back under law again, not for justification, but it is our guide. Yes. We want to do what Christ wants us to do because it's good. Right. And it's good for us and good for other people. Yep. Let's wrap up the episode here today and recommend a few resources to our listeners. The first one we've already mentioned a couple times is The True Bounds of Christian Freedom by Samuel Bolton. We'll make sure to link to that. You can get that for free from monergism.com. You can look for that in the show notes. Also, there's a book called The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson. Also, The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification by Walter Marshall. And I think I'm going to put that number one for me when okay. it comes to this. And it's it's... We've talked about it on we multiple have, ep- multiple yep. episodes. Yep. Uh, gospel, mis- the gospel mystery of sanctification by Walter Marshall. It's puritanical. It's not the easiest thing to read, sure, but we yeah. like to point out that the chapters are short. <laughs> and though he doesn't mention Richard Baxter in the book by name, I don't believe really he's countering that bad doctrine, that neo-nomian justifications by faith and works kind of bad 
heretical teaching, if you will. He's countering that and he's showing how to truly, genuinely be sanctified. Uh, and it's through Christ and the gospel. Uh, he's not an antinomian by any means. In fact, some of the chapters in that book are quite strong mm. uh, in making it clear that Christians are to bear fruit, that Christians are obligated. Uh, and so I think it's really, really well done and balanced. And so we would commend that to you uh, over and against other books that have been written in more recent days trying to combat antinomianism. I'm thinking about that book, even Antinomianism, Reform Theology's Unwelcome Guest by Mark Jones. I think it's pretty Baxterian. I wouldn't recommend that book. I, th- I would recommend Walter Marshall's book uh, far more than I would a book that says basically you have to do faith and works to be finally saved, mm. uh, which is what I think Jones does in his book. So I wish that book would have been better, but we can't recommend it here in the Pactum. We will, we will recommend uh, Walter Marshall, Sinclair Ferguson, or Samuel Bolton, and others if you need, need us to recommend more. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us here today on The Pactum. You can always find us online, Twitter, The Pactum, on Instagram, The Pactum Theology. You can be emailing us, connect at thepactum.org. We're grateful for all of you in The Pactumverse. Thanks for listening. We'll see you here next time on The Pactum. <laughs>